being used by God uh, as the Holy Spirit empowers me to speak to the issue of anxiety, the issue of depression. Uh, So the main thing I wanted you to take away last week was God can be trusted. Uh, The second key truth that we looked at is that God's word is sufficient for us to be sanctified, made more holy through our problems like anxiety, like depression, like greed, lust, uh, anything anything that you are struggling with. Uh, God's word is sufficient. It is enough to help us be sanctified, made more holy through those issues, through those problems. Notice uh, what I did not say. I did not say that God's word guarantees us instant relief. It doesn't. Uh, We know it, it, it gives us everlasting ultimate relief, uh, when we will be, uh, we will leave these bodies, these these broken bodies behind, and take on a glorified body one day. Uh, that is the ultimate relief we look forward to. Um, but I did not tell you that God's word guarantees us instant relief. Um, it does not. And I know that in time, and that's important for us to remember because in times of anxiety and depression, relief is what we want most. And that's not a bad desire, guys. I, please hear me say that. That is not a bad desire. But God's word promises for us to be sanctified, made more holy through our problems, not necessarily to have the the relief that we want on our terms. So those were uh, some key truths I wanted us to take away uh, last month. Uh, It was my intent to display these principles and model them for you as we looked through anxiety in particular. And, uh, and there was a lot of Bible last month. Uh, this month in our spotlight, there will be significantly less uh, Bible because I feel like you guys got the idea last month. Uh, so this month, I want to more want to focus on information about depression and application. Where do we go from here? Uh, those are the two main focuses that we're going to look at today. Um, before we do, before we turn our attention to the complexities and the expressions of depression, uh, I want to begin with Scripture. Always want to begin with Scripture. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter 21. That's in the, the back of your Bibles. Revelation chapter 21. We're going to look at the hope that we have to look forward to. Revelation chapter 21. Verses 1 through 4. The Apostle John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. The negative feelings associated with depression are not ideal for the human life as God intended it. 
the negative feelings associated with depression are not the ideal for human life as God intended it. Let's, let us remember that as we continue to discuss this. Uh, would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you have already done to extend grace to us now. And you are glad to give us grace upon grace upon grace. And so, God, we, we are here for you. We are here for your grace. And, and this discussion on depression, God, would you, would you empower me to be gracious even in talking about this subject matter? And God, would you be gracious in how I am heard, in the words that I say, that they would not be misinterpreted, but Lord, that it would, the words would be just what these people need to hear, that it would settle in their hearts so that when times of depression embark upon them, they, they know how to respond in faith-filled and in biblical ways. God, when depression hits someone close to them, that they know the words to say because, Lord God, you have spoken here. You have spoken in this time for us to be equipped to handle depression in ourselves or in someone else that is near and dear to our hearts. So, God, would you continue to speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what does depression look like as far as our human experience goes? Depression can express itself in a number of ways. Uh, depression is a form of despair. That's what the Bible word for depression is. So when you, when you see that word despair in your Bible reading, that's, that's very close to what we understand to be depression today. Depression is a form of despair. That is to cling to some failed hope. Some failed hope. And we see examples of this throughout Scripture uh, most notably in Psalm 33, uh, we see examples of failed hope as well as uh, proper hope. Uh, Psalm 33 says this, The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Do you see the contrast between this, this war horse, the, the king and his great army of a, a failed hope, right? Something that you would think in those, those Bible times would be a, a tremendous hope in times of war, to have chariots upon chariots, to have war horse upon war horse, and yet the Bible says this is a false hope. Instead, it says the, the hope is to be had in the steadfast love of the Lord and his holy name. That's where we put our hope. And yet depression is a form of despair in which we cling to failed hope. And it can express itself in a number of ways. Uh, first, numbness. A disturbing absence of feeling. A person finds himself not caring about things he knows he should be caring about. He isn't particularly sad, nor is he particularly happy. He isn't mad or worried. 
Those things have passed. He just exists. That's numbness. Apathy. Closely related to numbness, this can be a lack of care for things one should care about. Motivation is neutralized. Daily tasks seem void of meaning, even if the person continues to perform them. Sadness. An actual feeling of low-grade or high-grade sorrow. Usually, sadness is more easily traceable than apathy or sadness. Lack of pleasure. Things that should bring pleasure fail to do so. A person is not moved by things he once was or that he cognitively recognizes should move him. Extreme fatigue, excessive time spent sleeping, and physical exhaustion. Even normal daily tasks are so draining the person feels unable to function physically. Thoughts on the desirability of death. Being done with life becomes attractive, though it is merely fanciful longing. This is not the same as suicidal thinking. Suicidal thoughts, that's a a desire for death, uh, and it intensifies into thinking carefully about how one could bring it about, perhaps even thinking of possible scenarios by which it could happen. Now, I want to I point uh, you to the screens. Uh, there are two spectrums we're going to look at. The first is the frequency spectrum. Any one of those above expressions can happen on a range of frequencies. So you see here, is it rare? Is it occasional every now and then? Is it regular? Is it a consistent pattern? Is it constant? Does it seem like it's not going to let up? And then is it inescapable, something that you cannot move out of, but it just seems to bear on you uh, for all time. And then you have a different spectrum. You have the intensity spectrum. The intensity spectrum, any one of these above expressions can happen on a range of intensity, usually going in waves. Can you go to intensity spectrum? So you have low grade, then you have burdensome, impeding, It's keeping you from doing things that you know you should be doing. Disruptive, it's starting to affect your work, your your social life, and your sleep patterns. Overwhelming, it's really hitting hard, and you're starting to call in sick. And then debilitating, where you don't move out of your bed. That it has crippled you, almost. So between these two spectrums, we can tell how serious the depression is. So you had those lists of different ways that it can express itself, and then you take it to these spectrums of, all right, well, how frequent is it? Is it rare? Does it happen every couple of years? Or is it occasional? Is it just happening every now and then? Or, or is it inescapable? Is it something that you just cannot get out of? And then you take it to this intensity spectrum. How bad is it? How bad does it feel? Uh, take your feelings to the spectrum and see, well, is this just... Uh, low grade? Is this something that's just not really having a whole lot of effect on me, but uh, every now and then? And then burdensome. Uh, is, it, is it impeding some of my, my work life or disruptive, overwhelming, debilitating? These are things we can take our emotions, our feelings to, and really figure out how bad is the depression, because that matters. That absolutely matters. Last month, I mentioned that the word anxiety is thrown around pretty flippantly. Uh, But that can actually be of benefit to us in helping our friends come to terms with the root 
of their problem. We said anxiety equals threat. Regardless of whether someone is diagnosed with a particular anxiety disorder or is merely feeling anxious, the root of their anxiety is perceived threat against something they treasure, someone they cherish, or themselves. In a similar fashion, depression is a word that is used quite liberally to describe someone's experience, yet it can actually help us to help them. When used, it helps us to recognize the root of someone's depressive state, whether it is self-proclaimed or clinically diagnosed. When someone tells us they are depressed, we should associate their depression with hopelessness. As a form of despair, depression is an emotional indicator that we perceive our circumstances as hopeless. I'll say that again. As a form of despair, depression is an emotional indicator that we perceive our circumstances as hopeless. This perception is more than emotional, but emotional is the emotional part of things is where we see it most clearly. It involves the full breadth of our soul's functions. Depression has the tendency to skew the way we see the world and how we react to it. So I want to uh, jog your memory about our dynamic heart response model. Our dynamic heart response model. This is something I drew on a whiteboard uh, last month, and I've actually added some details to it. Before I cover those, I want to kind of uh, recover what we we talked about last time. So you have uh, one section here, the cognition. Uh, That's our thoughts. That's our beliefs. That's what we're thinking about the world around us. Uh, Then you have the affection. You have uh, emotion and desires, what you're feeling as well as what you are desiring uh, out of the the world around you. And then volition, choices that you're making, decisions you're making, uh, or commitments that you know uh, you're committed to. Uh, these are all responses, and they're all intermingled. We saw that, right? We saw that this is, I proved to you that this is in Scripture, that the heart is described in these ways, and these are responses to the context around us. So let me kind of cover some new detail. The context around us has uh, four different quadrants. Uh, So you have your relationship with God, your relationship with others, your relationship with self, and the circumstances around you. So this is new material that I'm giving to you. These are what we are responding to. This is our context that we are responding to at any given moment. Now, that can kind of sound confusing because if you remember last last month, I told you that anxiety or anger can flare up in your emotions, what seems to be like out of nowhere. But I will continue to tell you that we are responding to external conditions most of the time. Most of the time, it is external conditions. And so what does our heart response look like when we have depression? So let's look at cognition. Depression makes us interpret the world negatively. We're thinking and believing negatively about the context around us. Our thoughts focus on what is wrong with our circumstances rather than what is right. The priority of our minds is what fails to meet our expectations of what we believe life ought to be. That's our cognition. What about our affection? 
Depressive feelings shade the way we feel about everything, often robbing us of positive emotions. And then volition. Depression takes away the motivation to do anything, from basic responsibilities to pleasurable activities. We are no longer motivated to do these things. We shut down. Consistent feelings of depression are a red flag that a person is operating under some failed hope. These feelings are reinforced by a lack of motivation as well as a tendency to interpret life negatively. So what are some of the causes of the dynamic heart, uh, of, our, of our dynamic depression? Depression is a heart response to external conditions. Those conditions are important to consider in overcoming depression. Now, I realize what I just said, and some of you are going to have trouble with it, so I'll repeat it and I'll kind of nuance it. Depression is a heart response to external conditions. However, there are exceptions. If depression is hereditary, uh, that is uh, uh, endogenous, Uh, It will have a tendency to flare up like anxiety, like anger, as we saw last month. But even then, the bout of depression is typically triggered by an external condition. Generally, in most cases of depression, there is something externally that moves the person to respond, and that's what's called reactive depression. So what are those things? What are those those things that most often find us Uh, in depression. Uh, The first is stress. The first is stress. So think uh, in your mind, imagine a rubber band. Um, A rubber band usually makes it about right here before it's stressed to some length. And then you have uh, two things that can can make it go farther in terms of this illustration. Uh, The first is life events. So you're getting married or you're moving or there's exams coming up. Uh, some type of loss in your family, your friends, illness, unemployment, uh, birth of children, any number of these things can move that rubber band to stress even farther. Um, Now, fortunately, most of the time, those life events are few and far between, and and we can get through those, those times. But what happens when one life event piles up on top of another? Uh, what happens when it seems unending, that there's, there's one thing that stresses you out after another? Um, when they, these life events pile on top of one another for extended periods of time? Well, you become stressed. Your body was not made to take on all of that that's being thrown at you. The result is that our body and brain chemistry remain abnormal in those times, and then so does our mood. The uh, stressful events make our minds go into overdrive, exhausting and depleting the chemicals we need to think and feel in a normal way. Uh, if you open up every app on your phone, uh, it's going to crash some of those apps. It's going to deplete your battery. It's not going to last as long, right? It's, it can't perform normally under all that pressure in the same way. We cannot perform normally under all that pressure. But we don't have control over life events. That's why it's so, much, uh, it's so important that we have control over our lifestyle. Our lifestyle is the proportion of time and energy we give to work, 
socializing, shopping, traveling, recreation, exercise, rest, and sleep. Much of the increase in depression and anxiety today is largely a result of an unbalanced lifestyle where people are, on the one hand, working too hard and spending too much, and on the other hand, are exercising, resting, and sleeping too little. Uh, I experienced this on a very small scale. I want to make that very clear. A very small scale recently. Uh, Some of you know, I went to Virginia, uh, to Liberty, uh, to help recruit some of the new ministerial assistants we have coming in this summer and and, uh, this year. And uh, it was a great trip until Wednesday evening when weather uh, prohibited us from making it to our flight by 10 minutes in Charlotte, and I had to sleep in the airport. That was awful. For two days, I'm spending talking to people nonstop, interviewing people, getting to know basic strangers and trying to have some kind of meaningful contact with them, and I'm tired by Wednesday night. I'm ready to be home in my own bed. And then by 10 minutes, we missed this flight, and we find out we got to spend seven hours in the Charlotte airport, and I had to sleep on the floor. And they keep it cold. I don't know why they did that. They keep it really cold. And so I'm shivering all night, trying to sleep on this floor. And what I, what I saw is my body shut down. It, it could not handle that. Uh, I had a bad mood, and not just like I'm angry or anything, but just that I was not operating at my full capacity. And I had to go to sleep. I had to get cleaned up the day after and, and try to do some, get some work done. And what I found is that I could not think. There were, th- there were times I was like, I cannot think a thought right now. <laughs> that happened at a very small scale, a very small scale. But if you blow that up to the things that matter in life, the, the life moments that we want to have, but the lifestyle that won't allow us to have it to their full capacity, you can see how that can damage somebody long-term, that it can knock them out, not just for a day or so, but for a month and a season and a year and so on and so forth. So stress is a big cause of our depression. Secondly, psychology. The depressed person's unhelpful thought patterns tend to distort his view of reality in a false and negative way, adding to his depression or anxiety. Our perception of an event or experience powerfully affects our emotional, behavioral, and physiological responses to it. False thought patterns will have a detrimental effect on our feelings, on our bodies, on our behavior, and on our souls, usually in that order. And then the other, another cause is sin. Non-Christians may be depressed because of their sin. In which case, the cure is repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Sadly, many depressed unbelievers are being treated with chemicals when what they need is conversion. If you do not have a saving relationship with Jesus, it is likely your depression is related to a guilty conscience and conviction of sin. Now, while sin may be the last thing unconverted people may think is causing their depression, the opposite is true for Christians. When a Christian becomes depressed, there is often painful spiritual consequences, such as loss of assurance, assurance that Scripture gives us, assurance that the Holy Spirit gives us. We start to become robbed of that assurance. 
Depressed believers then jump to the conclusion that there is also a spiritual cause, usually their own sins or hypocrisy or failures of one kind or another. Uh, In this book, Christians Get Depressed Too by David Murray, I highly recommend this. If you're looking for a resource on where to begin and looking about your your own response uh, to depression, I highly recommend this short book. You can read this through a day if you devoted your whole day to it. Uh, Christians Get Depressed Too by David Murray. And in it, there are some good cues about whether or not this may be a a sinful uh, cause. He says, do you see any of these things in your life? If you made someone besides God the center of your life and you lose him or her, you will feel isolated and without purpose. Can you see how this can give give way to depression? You made another person your reason for living and now, without him or her, you feel hopeless and unable to go on. You may not realize it, but the Bible tells us that this is idol worship. You are worshiping what God created instead of him. Another one. If you feel like you failed in the eyes of other people and your success and opinions of others is of critical importance, you can slip into depression. Can you see the spiritual roots? Your success and the opinions of others have become your gods. They are more important to you than serving Christ. Another, if you feel like you did something very wrong and you want to manage your sin apart from the cross of Jesus, depression is inevitable. We always want to believe that we can do something, like feeling really bad for our sins, but that is just pride. We actually think that we can pay God back, but this attitude minimizes the beauty of the cross and Jesus' full payment for our sin. And then finally, if you are angry and don't practice forgiveness, you can easily slide into depression. The simple formula is sadness plus anger equals depression. What makes us angry shows us what we love and what rights we hold dear. Unforgiveness shows us that we are not willing to trust God to bind up our broken hearts and to judge justly. Deal with your sadness and anger by pouring your heart out to God. Use the Psalms as your prayers. Ask for faith so that you can trust God to be your defender and your helper. So that's the cause of sin. But let's keep going. The, the cause of sickness Just as the curse on this world and on our bodies can cause mechanical, chemical, and electrical problems in our hearts, our livers, our pancreas, our eyes, and other body parts, so we can have mechanical, chemical, and electrical problems in our brains, which may affect the way we think. As processing our thoughts is the main activity of our brain, we can expect this area at times to fail and break through no fault of our own with subsequent emotional and behavioral problems. I'll say more on this when we look at the cures for these causes. And then finally, sovereignty. One final cause of depression in the Christian is the sovereignty of God. Hard though it may be to accept The ultimate cause may be it pleased God. We know that God has wise and loving motives and purposes in all his dealings with his children. We have to make peace with the fact that our depression may be a means to placing our whole dependence upon God. In this way, depression may be a mercy 
from God that draws us closer to him and conforms us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. If you still have your Bibles open, flip over to James. It's just a few books over. James. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Mark this in your Bibles. These verses are crucial to our Christian experience in the time of difficulty. James 1, 2 through 4 says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That is otherworldly. That is supernatural. We cannot count it all joy when we endure trials of various kinds apart from the help of the Holy Spirit, apart from a perspective that only God can give us, apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ. That is how we can count it all joy when we endure depression. And joy is what we need most in depression. Joy is an interruption to our depression. And that's what we need when we hit those times of a depressed state. We need joy. Joy interrupts rather than simply replaces the negative feelings associated with depression. This interruption is powerful enough to alter a person's perspective of life to no longer be dominated by depression. Joy is an interruption rather than just simply replacing our feelings. And this is where caregivers help out the most. When you have somebody that's in your life that has experienced depression Enter into somebody's mess. Be Christ to that person, right? Psalm 44, I think it is, tells us that God drew us up out of the miry bog, out of the, the, the mud. He got in our mess and he put us on a rock. That's what you have to be to somebody who's experiencing depression in your life. And that's going to take a lot of work out of you. That's going to take a lot of time and a lot of attention. Give it. Give it to them. Be there for them when they do not want to leave their house. Go for a walk with them so that they can breathe some fresh air with somebody who loves them and cares for them. Open the Bible, go to the Psalms, and give them words to match their human experience during this time because we know God's word does that. We know the psalmist cries out. Help give them words during that time. Be the joy that interrupts their depression. Give it to them as it has been given to you. Be the joy that interrupts their depression. Those are the causes. Uh, but what about the cures? And I'm actually very hesitant to use that word cures because that can be very misconstrued. But that's the, the word uh, that I'm going with. Cures to our depression. The first, correct your lifestyle. Correct your lifestyle. That means changing your routine. A positive step in recovering from depression is to restore order and discipline 
to your life. Regular and orderly sleeping, eating, and working patterns will rebuild a sense of usefulness and healthy self-esteem. It is also glorifying to God, who is a God of order, not confusion. God doesn't just act sporadically, recklessly. He is very intentional, very intentional about what he does. And you see this in the creation in Genesis. Routine, then relaxation. We need to build times of relaxation into our lives. This may involve finding a quiet spot at various times throughout the day to simply pause, calm down, quiet your soul. Let the peace of God reign over your life in that time. Jesus recognized and provided for this need in his disciples. If you're on our Vision 2020 reading plan, you read this recently. That Jesus recognized and provided this for his disciples when he took them apart into a desert place and rested a while. Jesus modeled this for us. Recreation. Moderate physical exercise helps to expel unhelpful chemicals from our system and stimulates the production of helpful chemicals. When Paul commands Timothy to train yourself for godliness, he even admits that bodily training is of some value, doesn't he? He doesn't say it's of no value. It's of some value. Rest. As regular sleep patterns enable the body and mind to repair and recharge, set fixed times for going and uh, going to be and getting up and trying to get at least eight hours of sleep. Avoid caffeine, vigorous exercise, phone calls, TV, and internet use within three hours of sleeping. Get into the set routine for going to bed and try to secure cooperation from others in your household. That's the hard part. If you have roommates who are a little rambunctious, that will keep you up. I get it. Um, the, a very practical help for you, I think, uh, on your, your smartphone, there are usually some type of screen time limits. Uh, I have used this in my own life. Of My, my screen and my apps, they shut down at 9 o'clock. I'm getting ready for bed, and I, I, I hold that time sacred. Uh, between me and the Lord. I usually take a psalm, uh, pray it back to the Lord, uh, read a couple pages of two or three books, and then I, I call it a night. Um, that's something that you might want to implement in your life, of, of having a set shutdown time uh, for your devices where you'd be tempted to just go and, and watch 13 episodes of The Office. So, you know, like, let's, let's just call, that's not going to be restful, right? Let's just acknowledge, it's, it'll be funny, it won't be restful. Uh, so, have some shutdown time to help you out. And then finally, reprioritize. Examine your life and see what you can do to reduce your commitments and obligations. Areas to consider are your family, your work, your church, your neighbors, and travel. Once you are better, you may be able to pick some of these activities up back again. But your main priority is to get better. All right, secondly, correct your false thoughts. Uh, Go to Psalm 77. Psalm 77. It's in the middle of your Bible. We're going to see that Asaph, the psalmist in particular, examines his thoughts and challenges them. Psalm 77, verses 1 through 15. Say this, 
I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Do you see how Asaph prays honestly to the Lord? It's beautiful. It shouldn't, we shouldn't be concerned for the sake of Asaph's salvation in this, should we? No, we we should match Asaph's tone with our own prayers. We should be honest to God with our prayers, with our thoughts. He examined his thoughts and he challenged them. Sometimes simply identifying such false thoughts and their impact on us can itself be a major turning point. However, to complete the process, we should go on to formally challenge our own false thoughts. And that's where the dynamic heart response model can really help us. When we list out the thoughts that we are thinking under that cognition section of our heart, we can see, for, see those thoughts for what they are. Are they false thoughts or are they true? Uh, I was listening to a podcast that I would commend to you. It's called Becoming Something Podcast. Uh, Becoming Something. Uh, it's it's uh, just some leaders in an adult ministry down in Texas. And uh, their most recent podcast was Get Out of Your Head. I would highly recommend you listen to that. It's 20 to 25 minutes long. Um, And on that, one of the hosts talks about what she does when those thoughts come to her head. She lists them out. She lists them out, and then she takes Scripture to them. Does Scripture confirm this thought? Does Scripture confirm this thought? That's what we see Asaph doing, and that's what she recommends us do. I, I would say that's exactly what the heart model was built for was to list out what am I thinking as well as feeling and doing. But what am I thinking? Because when you get trapped in your own negative thoughts, you need a way out. This is a rope to see the solidified uh, thought that you're thinking written down on a piece of paper helps. Because you can take that to Scripture. Does Scripture confirm this thought? If not, it's false. And it does, not, does you no good to, to dwell on it. And you can replace those thoughts with with Bible meditation. So correct your false thoughts. Thirdly, correct 
brain chemistry. Correct brain chemistry. If assessing your feelings and thoughts does not work after you've tried and tried again, or you can't even get started, your depression is inescapable and debilitating, then it might be wise to seek out trained medical personnel for diagnosis and possibly prescription of appropriate medication. We are not anti-medication. Medication is a form of common grace that can be helpful to ease or erase physical symptoms of depression. Here's the disclaimer. None of them work all the time, and all of them can have harmful side effects. That's the disclaimer. And uh, this is why we ha- having a medical professional uh, that you trust is essential if, you're, if you d- decide to go that route. I am not a medical professional. I am a pastor. I can tell you, as your pastor, that it is neither sinful nor a sign of spiritual weakness to take medication. I want you to hear me say that. It is neither sinful nor a sign of spiritual weakness that you take medication. But for the majority of people who experience depression that isn't debilitating or isn't inescapable, I would recommend biblical counseling. Not because your problem is sin, but because, as we saw last month, God's word is sufficient to sanctify you through your normal problem with depression. Correct your brain chemistry. And then correct your spiritual life. You want to correct the spiritual consequences. Uh, this isn't to say that the cause is sin, but we know that depression, depression has sin... Uh, excuse me. Very, gotta, let me back up. I want to be very careful about how I say this. Not all depression is caused by sin, but all depression can have a spiritual consequence. So we need to know how do we correct those spiritual consequences of a possibly non-sinful depression. First, we accept that God being, de- uh, excuse me, first, we accept that being depressed is not necessarily a sin and indeed is compatible with Christianity. Many Bible characters and many of the greatest Christians passed through times of depression. I think of my own preaching hero, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, dealt with depression through much of his preaching ministry and life. Secondly, try to understand that your loss of spiritual feelings is not the cause of your depression, but rather the depression has caused a general loss of feeling in all parts of your life, your spiritual life included. Third, patiently wait for the corrections in your lifestyle, your thinking, and your brain chemistry to have an effect on your feelings as a whole. It'll take some time, and your spiritual life will pick up at the same time as those other uh, lifestyle thinking and brain chemistry will. Fourth, have a set time for reading your Bible and praying. This is no stranger to us. Uh, This is a, a common thing, but depressed Christians may either give up on reading and praying or may try to do more and excessively read and pray in order to try and bring back their spiritual feelings. 
Uh, both of those are, are not wise to give it up or to do too much. And, fi- and, and instead, you want to find that balance. Both approaches, uh, uh, those approaches are unhelpful. Instead, we want to uh, set aside realistic and regular time each day to read and pray. Fifth, bring objective truth to mind, especially positive verses that set forth God's love, his mercy, grace for sinners. Write out verses and carry them with you. Sixth, when you pray, tell God exactly how you feel. Be honest with him, totally honest in your prayer life. Ask God to help you with your doubts and fears and to restore to you the joy of your salvation. Seventh, keep going to church and seek out fellowship of one or two sympathetic Christians you can confide in and ask them to pray with you and for you. And eighth, remember God loves you as you are and not as you would like to be. How do we correct the spiritual causes then? If having examined your life, you find that there is sin that you are deliberately and stubbornly persisting in or other sins that you have never really repented of, It is time to fall on your knees and seek God's pardon for the sin and God's power over the sin. You can see Psalms 32 and 51 for examples on how to do this. Psalm 51 being David's sin right after, uh, David's confession of sin right after uh, Bathsheba and killing her husband. Um, His beautiful confession to the Lord is a template, a great template for how to confess to God. I wanted you to hear all of this so that you'd be informed and you would seek out application, what the next steps look like. Uh, I highly recommend biblical counseling. You can find uh, information about what we provide here at Bellevue in our biblical counseling online. Um, You can also, if you ever want to contact me to possibly set up some kind of pastoral counseling, I would be open to that. Uh, You can find my contact information online as well uh, at Bellevue.org. Um, is Jamie Fish here? He's not. Okay. Uh, I was going to have Jamie Fish come and share about what some of the next steps look like if you wanted to uh, pursue biblical counseling. Again, like I said, those, uh, that, no, those next steps can, are, are online. You can find those uh, if you just go to our website. Uh, let me pray for us. I'm going to stay here. If you need any type of uh, answer to a question maybe I didn't get to uh, or you just like somebody to talk to, uh, our staff, our leaders, we would love to talk with you. Uh, So let me pray for us, and then you feel free to to move about as you like. Dear Lord, uh, we need you. Every hour, we need you. Um, God, there are going to be times where we are troubled, just as Asaph said. And we're going to have false thoughts enter our minds, left and right. And we're going to need your help to to pull us up out of the miry bog and onto solid ground. Uh, God, I pray that you would... Um, just in this time that we have gotten uh, together, uh, God, that we would be equipped to have conversations with people who are hurting, that are broken. Um, God, that you would move us by the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells within us as Christians to enter into a mess much like you did. And that, God, we would be the joy that interrupts somebody's depression. 
that, God, we would devote as much time, as much energy and attention as it requires to see that person better, better than when we found them. God, I pray that every person in this room is somehow helped by what they heard today, knowing that there's stuff that we left out, that this was not a comprehensive talk on all there is to say about depression, but knowing that it's a good starting place. Um, God, I pray that you would help us to move about what next steps look like. Um, God, that you would give us uh, ears to hear and hearts to respond to whatever depression is around us, whether it's in uh, us or in someone we love and care about. Um, God, would you be with us as we leave here uh, thinking um, joyful, hopeful thoughts about you in the midst of uh, a depressive world, a broken world that we want to see uh, healed as your kingdom comes and your will is done in our lives uh, on earth as it is in heaven. God, be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.